Thankful to be gathered together with you all this morning, once again on this Sunday, and worship the Lord with you all. Um, before we jump into the text this morning, I just want to uh, pray for us, pray for our time together. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you for these brothers and sisters um, gathered together this morning. God, I pray that our praise would be a sweet aroma to you, God, that we would worship you um, through song and through your word. Lord, as we enter into your text this morning, would your spirit speak to us, God? May we lay down our pride and take up Christ because um, we have nothing else but Christ. So, Lord, I pray that the, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in James chapter 3 this morning. If you have a Bible, please turn there with me. Um, the topic that James is going to be discussing today or hitting on is the idea of words. So all of us should have some understanding of what James is talking about as, he dives in, as we dive into this this morning. We see that words are incredibly influential and important in all of our lives and throughout history. That world history has been shaped and formed by words and different rhetoric, right? For good and for evil. If you look, if we take a quick snapshot of different periods throughout history, we see that that takes place, whether it's for the Christian faith or for in the secular world, that things have, by words, things have changed, like words have changed things in our lives. Like the, the four words, take up and read. Is anybody familiar with those four words? Take up and read. These are the words that were sung by little children in a courtyard right outside of Augustine's window about the time of his conversion. Where these, as these children sang, take up and read, Augustine took up the word of God and read it. And through, even through the mouths of children, he converted and came to know the Lord. Or what about here I stand? It's a famous speech by Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms, where he took his stance for um, really the reformed, the, the Reformation against the Catholic Church, saying that, it, that salvation only comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What about four scores and seven years ago? You are not a good American unless you know who spoke those words. Abraham Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address, Right? Or, I have a dream. I have a dream. All of these words are, are significant in our lives. And all these words are positive words that have been spoken. They're, they're words that have been spoken for good, right? They've, they've changed the world for good. But we also know that words change the world for evil too, right? In the late 1930s, General Hermann Goering, in a letter to Adolf Hitler, stated... We have reached the final solution for the Jewish problem. In this 10-word sentence, this 10-word sentence led to the murder of over 6 million Jews. Just in 10 words. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. See, words, they can change lives for good and for evil, right? Well, we have opportunities every single day to speak good or to speak evil. 
We actually have 10,000 to 20,000 opportunities every single day. The average human being, and I'm sure many of you know, people on both ends of this spectrum, who speak between 10,000 and 20,000 words every single day. That gives us that many opportunities to either bless or to curse others every day. So if these are some, if these are the, the importance and the impact of words. What does God think about words? Because God obviously gave us the ability to speak, right? And we see that one of the first things, actually the first thing that God does is that God speaks. He says, let there be light. And there was light. His words spoke power. And over the next six days, God spoke and all creation came into existence through his words that he spoke. God spoke and he created man. And then after creating man, he spoke to man and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God didn't just speak to man though. He also spoke to himself. We see the words that God spoke to himself. He said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So God spoke to himself, but God also speaks specifically to man and gives man a command and a rule to follow. He says, man, you can eat of any tree in this entire garden. Any tree is yours, except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that tree. So we see God giving his people a command to follow. And last, we see God give man words to be able to speak to his own wife, that God fills man with words to speak affectionately and kindly to his wife, saying, you are the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. At this point in the creation story, words are pure and holy and good. There's no slander. There's no deceit. There's no abusive talk. Adam was not talking over his wife, belittling his wife. His wife was not coming up and talking and saying, you're not doing your job, Adam. There's none of that. But as we enter into Genesis chapter 3, we see the war of words begins. And this war begins by the enemy, Satan himself, entering into the garden and speaking. He comes to the woman and he says to the woman, did God actually say that you can't eat from this tree? Did God actually say those four words set off a chain reaction for our first parents disobeying God and eating the forbidden fruit that they should not have eaten. And when God comes and approaches man and woman, he doesn't even have to say anything because they begin bickering and fighting and pointing fingers and saying, God, this woman that you gave me, they're all cursing and slandering one another and God himself who created them. And then God speaks again. And I want you to really let these words soak in. God speaks again in Genesis 3, and he says, Cursed are you. Cursed are you. Up on the screen here, there's a quote by author Jeff Robinson, and he says that 10,000 nuclear warheads exploding every day could never rival the cosmic impact of those words. It is why there is trouble in our talk. It is why Jesus came Those few words declared in Eden triggered the fall of man from innocence. They opened the door wide for two intruders, sin and death. 
See, despite the tragedies that happened in Genesis chapter 3, God continued to sovereignly and graciously and, and pursuantly speak to his people and speak to us. This didn't stop God from speaking. If we want to know who God is, well, he tells us, he speaks to us and tells us in his word. If we want to know what's wrong with us or what's wrong with the world, God tells us in his word. If we want to know God and be in relationship with God, he has spoken to us and he continues to speak to us and tell us in his word. I mean, think about how much God packs into single words of scripture. I mean, you think about even the names of God or how God describes himself, that he is a rock and a shield and a fortress, a son, a shepherd, a protector, a king, a prophet, a judge, a door, bread, water, a master. Like these may, be, may sound like simple words to us, but we know from reading scripture that, that these words are packed full of other words because words matter to God. And that's why God gave us words to speak. And so if words matter to God, then words should definitely matter to us and what we say. So this is the, the point that James is hitting on this morning is that people speak. The two points from today's passage that we're going to, that we're going to hit on is that point, the, the main point, point number one, is that the tongue is the fruit of our words. The tongue is the fruit of our words. Main point number two, the heart is the root of our words. The heart is the root of our words. So starting in verse one of James chapter three. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. This is God's word. So this first section under the, the main point, number one of the tongue is the fruit of our words. What I really want us to hone in on is why words should matter to us, why we should care about our words. And James starts us off by talking about teachers in verse one. Words should matter to us because words are influential. They influence other people, right? James is cautioning his readers to not recklessly teach the word of God ever. Because he says that, that we, James included, will be held to a greater, sta- a, a greater standard or a greater strictness. So a morally flawed, 
A morally or doctrinally flawed teacher can lead so many people to error. And this is, this is what James was warning back in his day, because teachers were rising up all over the place, wanting to teach God's word. And James is saying, listen, if you're doing it to, to get a pat on the back or be affirmed or, or be, be looked at as more holy, James is warning them. He's saying, don't do that because you'll be held to a greater strictness, a greater standard. And in our day, the same is true. We can go into so many churches that are, that are teaching falsely, that are promoting themselves or promoting a, a false gospel. This is why the prosperity gospel movement is so damaging because it influences so many people to go in a certain direction and, and, it, and it triggers things in our hearts that say, wow, that looks nice. That's comfortable. That's easy. That will get me what I want. It speaks to our depraved hearts. And that's why the gospel, the prosperity gospel movement is moving millions of people on a soft, slow decline to hell because of the influence that these preachers have. This is why James hits on this so hard and says, I'm warning you, you'll be held to a greater standard if you are teaching God's word. So we must have a tight rein on our tongues because our tongues are influential. Secondly, in verse three and four, words are powerful. That tiny two and a half ounce piece of tissue that is in your mouth can, can do more good and also cr- cause more pain than anything else in your whole body. It is so powerful. That's why James gives these two illustrations of horses and ships. He's saying, you know that tiny piece of metal in the mouth of a horse relative to the size of the horse? Well, that little bit causes the horse to move and guides and directs the horse wherever the, the person on the horse wants it to go. Like you think about horse racing and those jockeys weigh, weigh like 80 pounds and the horses are like huge. They're like 800 pounds and that little jockey can, can cause the horse to move wherever they want it to go because that tiny bit has such significance. Or the ships. James says, look also at the ships. 90,000 tons of, of, of just this mass going through the water, no matter the storm or the winds or the waves, the rudder of the ship keeps the ship on course wherever the pilot directs the ship. Now, James kind of gives us these two softball examples of sorts where these, these two examples are, are more negative or, or more neutral or, or even positive examples of, of, of the impact that something small can have on something so large. But what James is going to turn our attention to next is how our tongues are neither neutral or the natural impact of our tongues is neither neutral or positive. That the natural impact of our tongues is actually destructive. Words are not only powerful, but words are destructive. Verses five and six. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is fire. In 2018, there was a farmer in Northern California who found this big yellow jacket's nest. And so he, apparently one thing you do as a farmer is I guess you plug yellow jacket's nest. I didn't know this, but you can take like a big metal stake and you can put it in a yellow jacket's nest and hammer it down. So this farmer was doing that. He was plugging this, this nest and he struck the stake, this metal stake several times and a, a spark flew off of the stake 
and hit the grass right next to the stake. And that spark set ablaze over 500,000 acres throughout Northern California. Maybe, of you, maybe some of you remember this, this going on or this happening. I think we even got smoke here in Colorado from this fire ravaging hundreds of homes and its destruction. And James, not holding back at all, says, your tongue is like that. Your tongue is a fire and it can set ablaze the cores of your whole life with one word. Because in verse 6, James is going to describe four ways for us about how destructive our tongue is. He first says that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It's a world of evil. And this cannot be said of any other part in the body, of the body, right? You look at the book of Proverbs, and the Pro- Proverbs talks about the tongue a lot for good and evil. But Proverbs doesn't mention very much about the impact of your toe or your elbow. The tongue is an entire ecosystem of sin right there in your mouth. Sam Albury states that the potential for any number of world-changing horrors lies right there in your mouth. John Calvin says a slender portion of flesh contains in it the whole world of iniquity. So not only is the tongue a world of unrighteousness, but the tongue stains the whole body. It stains the whole body. Jesus comments on this idea and says that what comes out of your mouth is what defiles someone, what defiles you. This idea that James uses of staining the whole body is referring to guilt and shame that, that, that's brought upon a person who speaks wickedly. And we've all felt this before. Like I'm sure many of us can, most of us in here can remember the time that someone has spoken meanly toward us, has bashed us and crushed our spirits, right? And when we think about that person, we think like that relationship is now marred. It's no longer the same. Like that relationship is now stained because of what that person said. Or maybe what you've said to someone. So the tongue stains the whole body. And the tongue is setting on fire the entire course of life. When you think about a, a harsh word that you may speak to your parent or your spouse or kid. Or some, some juicy gossip that you, that you heard in the office that is just too good to not share with other people. Or maybe adding just a little bit of exaggeration onto a story to make it sound a bit sweeter. Like some of these things may sound so innocent and so harmless, right? But we see all over the place examples of how even one lie or one flirtatious comment in the office can lead to just complete destruction of your life. It can lead to adultery and deceit and murder and betrayal, even imprisonment. Like those seem super extreme, but if the tongue is setting on fire the, the, your entire course of your life, it's not that extreme. And attempting to stop the words or, or, or the, the destruction of our words, it's like trying to stop the wildfire from spreading. You can't. You can't stop it. And I just want us to stop here for a second and, and, and have us consider as a church, like when we look out in our neighborhoods, when we look on TV, in the media, and we see how people's lives are in shambles by what they've said, by how they've used their words. I believe that James is talking to you and to me. 
We can't look past our, our own selves and see, man, how much damage am I causing with my own tongue? Like, I, I want us to get on the same page here for a second and just get, like, lay your pride down. Let's get a little bit more comfortable with one another. Like, how many of you have personally and purposefully tried to hurt someone with your words? Like, you set out and you said, man, I want to crush this person with my words. Like, I know I have, right? We all have. We're, okay, so the ground is level. We are all sinners in this room. Okay, we can continue on now. So this passage is for us this morning. Because what James says next, for someone who doesn't believe that they've said a sharp word towards somebody purposefully, they would not believe what James says next. James says that our tongues are set on fire by hell. Now, if you've been in the book of James, you know that James does not hold back. So why here does he speak so harshly? Because I believe that that James is right. That evil words do come from hell. They come from the mouth of the father of lies. Our words, the words that we speak, don't sound too different from what the enemy said in the garden to the woman. Did God actually say? And it's one of words, when we sin through our words, it's one of the easiest it's one of the easiest sins that we can just excuse because we can say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for it to sound like that. The reality is it did sound like that. That's just, that's just how it came out. Right. In the gospels, we see this, this interesting interaction between Jesus and Peter where Jesus is foretelling his betrayal and his death. And he says that he's going to be arrested and beaten and he's going to die on a cross. And Peter responds to Jesus and says, that will never happen to you, Lord. I will never let that happen to you, Lord. And Jesus responds to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. And the reason that Jesus said that was because he knew that Peter's words were driven by the devil himself, that Peter's words were set on fire by hell. So we know that words are destructive and we know that words are untamable. They're untamable. Verses seven and eight. Every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Back in 2013, um, my wife and I took a trip to um, East Africa in Ethiopia. And we were visiting this small town. And during our visit there, it was one, one evening that the sun was going down and we had heard about this really cool place outside of town where they have these tamed hyenas. And we're like, okay, East Africa out in the bush somewhere. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really legit. So, <laughs> so we, we travel out there and we heard that you can actually feed these hyenas and we didn't have kids at the time. And so I was not definitely not as smart then and didn't have as much back home to come back to. So I ended up being one of the ones who fed the hyenas and there's pictures up on the screen here. So this is, I didn't realize this, but you're actually going to be feeding the hyenas from your mouth. And so you have a stick that you're holding in your mouth and a piece of meat. And if you're thinking, if you're thinking like, these are like the Lion King hyenas that are laughing and small. These things are monstrous. They're huge. 
And my wife was a little wiser, and she actually just ended up throwing the stick at the hyena. But I didn't know this, that you can actually train or tame hyenas. I didn't know this. But if you don't have, if you don't really desire to go and feed a hyena out of your mouth, maybe you've been to SeaWorld, or maybe you've seen Shamu, this 2,000-pound killer whale that can jump over a wall at the snap of a finger, right? James is, and James says to us, he says, yeah, duh, like, that's easy. God gave man dominion over, over all the creatures, right? So yeah, taming a whale and taming a hyena is easy. But James says that taming the tongue? <laughs> no, no one can tame the tongue. That is impossible. That is humanly impossible to tame the tongue. And James continues on. He says, because it is a restless evil and your tongue is full of deadly poison. Our tongues are a restless evil because in Jeremiah it tells us that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. What we see, what we'll see here in a moment is that what comes out of our heart, what comes out of our mouth is actually coming from our heart and our, our tongues are, are restless evil because our hearts are wicked and James is saying that you desperately need to control your tongue. We desperately need to. But it's not something that we are able to do. It is beyond human capacity. And the reason for this is because it is an overflow of our hearts. Our tongues betray our hearts constantly, every single day. So if the tongue is the fruit of our words... Our hearts are the root of our words. It's where our words come from. So in verses 9 through 12, we're going to dig into this a little bit more. Uh, James 3, 9 through 12. With it, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. One thing I love about James is how similar his words are and his heart is towards his brother's heart, Jesus's heart. Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, while, while gently confronting Pharisees, Jesus says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Listen to this sentence. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So about 10 years ago, going through, seeing this, watching this marriage seminar, um, Paul David Tripp gave this, gave this illustration. So I want you to watch the bottle, okay? And I know I'm building a lot of drama right here, especially for Aaron. <laughs> um, but I want you to watch the bottle closely, okay? Why did water come out of the bottle? shook it. That's it's the, it's the first reaction that most of us would have is because we shook the bottle, right? Let me ask the question again and, re- and reemphasize something. Why did water 
come out of the bottle. Because there's water in the bottle, right? Thank you. (laughs) Because there's water already in the bottle. So if you are shaken by what your boss says, by what your spouse says, by what your kid says, by what your neighbor says, what comes out of you in that moment was already in you. It was already in your heart. The word shows us, our words, they show us the conditions of our heart. And this is a a beautiful gift from God. That we don't have to wonder what's going on in our heart. You don't have to wonder if you have an angry heart, if you have a jealous or discontented heart. You don't have to wonder anymore. Because guess what? Your words are going to reveal it. If you're always snapping or exploding on people, well, you probably have an angry heart. But, and and we can often just cover this up and just say, well, I just didn't get enough sleep last night. Or have you, have you seen my children? Have you been around my children very much? Or I was, I was just so stressed out from work today. Like we try to cover it up so much with those things that are actually shaking us. When the reality is what was in our heart is what's coming out of our mouth. It's not, it's not based on what is shaking you or maybe Maybe you're prone to be a killjoy and you can't imagine someone's life being better than yours, better than your life, or you're jealous of their life. Like seeing somebody else who's doing better than you, that's what's shaking you up. But in reality, you have jealousy and insecurity in your heart. And all of that comes out of your mouth is ultimately coming from your heart. So church, I want to ask you, what is in your heart? And I'm sure if we've been around you long enough, we would know what's in your heart because we, as the, as the faith family of God would be able to experience you and what your heart shows. So James here in verse nine, James invites us, the readers and himself to admit the true and sad reality of our words and ultimately our heart that with it, with our words and with our heart, We bless our Lord and Father. And in numerous ways, in ungodly ways, we curse the image bearers that he has created. We gossip because we have a self-promoting heart. We slander because we have a self-loving heart. We criticize because we have a self-centered heart. There's a heart problem going on, not a word problem. A few weeks ago, Pastor Rick mentioned this, this idea of, of the two commands to love God and love your neighbor. And in reality, that is one command. That is one command that we have because you cannot do one without the other. When James says that we bless our Lord, but we curse people, what we're doing is we are, when we curse our neighbor, when we curse those who are made in God's image, we are cursing God because he has created them in his image. And James states very boldly in verse 10, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. We should not be so inconsistent between our heart and our mouth. This should not be because the uncomfortable reality is that an unchristian speech reveals an unchristian heart. As we get further down in this passage, James ends this passage with some rhetorical questions about trees and about water. And he answers those questions by saying that trees cannot bear two kinds of fruit and a pond cannot produce both salt water and fresh water. 
James is saying that we, we can, that how we talk about people is evident of, of what we think about God. Pure speech can only come from a pure and loving heart. And if we try to bless God and curse others, what we're doing is we're putting on our post-Genesis 3 self and we're trying to live a more holy life and we're going to try better next time because you will, you will fail. You will curse somebody. And, you, and by cursing somebody, you are cursing God. We cannot fake our words. We cannot fabricate words to sound more holy because God knows the condition of your heart. And in this reality where Satan, sin, and death still reign and they still have the final word, our only hope in that is to try to suck it up and try to speak better next time. But what we're doing is we're just, we're heaping on more shame and guilt and we're staining our bodies and we're, we're wreaking havoc everywhere. But praise be to God. Because there's another voice that enters into the story of God. And his name is Jesus. And he says things wildly different from what, how we talk and how the enemy talked. He came to this earth and he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He's calling out to you, to his people. And he's saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you cannot stop speaking poorly, run to Jesus who will give you rest. If you can't stop being so angry and bitter and hateful, run to Jesus because he will give you rest. And right now, if you're, if you're sitting there and you just feel like crumbling on the ground in your sin, thinking about how you have cursed your neighbor and ultimately cursed God, like I want you to cling tightly to these words The final words that Jesus spoke as he breathed his last breath, Jesus cried out, it is finished. It is finished. That proclamation purchased for us life and new words. It is through his death and resurrection that our lives and our very words can be redeemed for his glory. Jesus gives us a new language. He gives us a new way to talk, a new life to live. This is the gospel So as we respond today to this word in James, I want us to respond in two ways. First, that we would speak to God in prayer and worship. That we would cry out to God and and confess to God that we have sinned against him by sinning against those, by sinning against our neighbor and ultimately sinning against God himself. And then after you've repented and come up and lifted your face up to God, give God all praise for the gospel. Because his love for you is not, un- is, is not unchanged by your words. How you've spoken to other people, his love is, is not, is, his love is not unchanged by that. By how you've spoken to others. But his, his love for you is completely secured in his word and his promises for you. Secondly, that we would speak lovingly towards others. Like let our words be a healing balm to those who need it. Let it be a refreshment to our souls and the souls of everyone around us. Like how much, when we're in conversations with someone, how much are are we thinking about the person that we're talking to and how we can serve them even in this conversation? Like offering up thoughtful questions, personal questions where they can talk about their life. And share with you. And then stopping and not saying anything. And just listening. 
James talks a lot about this idea of, of being slow to speak and quick to listen. And this is, what, this is what the life of a gospel bearer looks like. This is what the gospel on the ground looks like, is that we're laying down our words in order to serve our brother and sister in our, in our, with our words and with our conversations. Like, may we constantly be, be speaking the truth in love. And may we use our words as a way to proclaim the gospel in, in this room and outside of this room for his glory and for the good of our neighbor and for ourselves. May we be proclaiming the sweet love and mercy of Jesus as we live according to the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you for your healing words that you have given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of life that Jesus has, um, has shown us and told us, God. I remember in, um, when the disciples came to Jesus and Jesus was asking, where, where, else can we, where else can we go, Lord? Because you have the words of life. So, Lord Jesus, we come to you now and, and thank you for the words of life that you've spoken to each of us, God. Lord, may, may we be peacemakers. May we love people well through our words. May, we not, may our words not look like the words of, of, our, of our previous parents, God, Adam and Eve. May they not look like the words of the enemy, but may they look like the words of the gospel of Jesus who spoke perfectly. And listened well, God. May we be a people who bear the image of God and live as people who have been changed by the gospel. May the words of all of our mouths be pleasing to you, God. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.